0: Only from Rustolium.
1: Before we start, a word of warning that this episode contains some upsetting content. Please check the show notes for full details. Hello, I am Annie McManus. This is Changes, where guests share the biggest changes in their lives, and today's guest is so special. Uh, We have the musician, actor and author Will Young with us. Will graced our screens for the first time back in 2002 when he won the first ever series of Pop Idol with over 13 million people watching on. Since then, he's released eight studio albums, four of which have gone to number one in the charts. He has won two Brit Awards and had a Laurence Olivier nomination for his performance in Cabaret at the West End. He's currently starring in the one-man play Song from Far Away at Hampstead Theatre in London and he hosts his own podcast, a new podcast called The Wellbeing Lab, which is in its second series and discusses all sorts of mental health and wellbeing topics. Will is a polymath. He's also written five books, including Anything is Possible, To Be a Gay Man and Be Yourself and Happier, The A to Z of Wellbeing. Will, it's such a pleasure to have you on Changes today. Thank you for being here. (laughs) What is that? Is that sage or a joint? I can't tell.
2: God, that would be interesting, wouldn't it? A joint, <laughs> me stoned. My God, I don't think I'd say it. i just eat.
1: It would be a great podcast. we would be listening to you to you eat. Yeah. yeah.
2: Um, no, I have just lit this thing. I went to New Orleans and, and they had this white sage, but they make this sort of, it's mixed in with all these other herbs. So I like lighting it at different points during the day. It sort of gets me back in the room. How are you in general? Yeah, I'm all right, thanks. Yeah, I'm doing this play. So that's taking up a lot of my time, but it's a nice routine I'm in at the moment. And it's quite interesting, really, going into a very different world. You know, going into theatre, it's only me. It's a piece that's quite beautiful. It's about death and mm. grief and the breakdown of a family and this guy's very, you know, terribly shut down. And love. And uh, it's, it's quite funny, uh, but it's also dreadfully yeah. sad.
1: And I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but you've never done a one-man play before, No, have I've you? done
2: a... Yeah. That
1: must be... Is it, is it intense? Uh, it doesn't feel intense. It's quite fun.
2: Yeah. It's really fun, actually. It's um probably like the closest I get to a sort of flow state. Wow. Yeah,
1: which is quite beautiful. It's the kind of essence, isn't it, of... A creative endeavour, I suppose, that flow state what you're looking for, right? I think it is, yeah. Do you ever get that when you sing? And is is there I suppose I'm interested in the change that you've made from singing to serious theatre acting, what that difference is like.
2: I don't get it so often when I'm singing because it sort of singing seems to bring up a lot more insecurity. So I have a lot more chatter. I've got on top of it because I can just sort of witness it. And I'm like, oh that's interesting. That's what's going through my head. But I think probably I feel more vulnerable when i'm singing and i and and a part of me doesn't really like that um whereas when i'm acting i'm sort of being a character so i feel a bit more protected uh and that kind of makes sense so sometimes when i'm singing it, it can be a lot harder to navigate a lot of the thoughts that come in and that that can be quite exhausting which you know after 22 years you know one might think that that's i've sort of got on top of that but i haven't really um some things we just can't get on top of. Maybe I will. Maybe when I'm eighty.
1: Well, um, how are you with change in general? Pretty good. I, I
2: sort of got to a stage where I realised that none of it really matters. So, you know, if you said to me tomorrow, your house is gone, your job's gone, everything's gone, as long as I have my dogs, um and I could eat and chat to people and have some shelter. I think I'd be okay. Whereas in the past, I think change would be um, more scary because I would have put a lot more on it, but I don't really put much on it.
1: Was there a point in your life when that transition happened, when you realised it just doesn't matter?
2: Yes. Yes, I had a breakdown, uh, which I would highly recommend. And, um, you know, make sure you tell everyone you're having a breakdown. That's what I do if I had it again, you know. I'd, okay. be a, I'd be a lot more public about it. I'd be like, I'm having a breakdown. You know, like I'd go on yeah. Graham Norton and be like, I'm freaking the fuck out. I'm having oh, yeah. a breakdown. You know, how's the new record? It's good. By the way, I'm having a breakdown. <laughs> and, so you uh, kept it to yourself. Well, I sort of did. I sort of wish I'd been a bit more you know, open about it. It'd be quite fun just to see people's reactions. Um, <laughs> But yes, I know I had a breakdown. And uh, and I guess a lot of that was, you know, our ideas of... um. Thinking that things were important. Yeah. The right car, the right house, all that nonsense. And then when I realised, oh no, no, none of that's important, that's quite a game changer. But also it's quite takes quite a while to readjust. Cause I thought, oh, but well, no, hang on, isn't that what life's all about? Um mm. so you know, that's a lot of it's a lot of the messaging that we've been given, isn't it, in the West, you know? Absolutely. Um mm. so so it was it took me a while to realise Oh, no, none of these things are important.
1: What was your point when you're like, okay, it's official, I'm having a breakdown?
2: Couldn't stop crying. Right. Um, lost my appetite. Couldn't leave the house. Um, right. You know, couldn't get out of bed. And mm-hmm. was and that was quite unusual behaviour for me.
1: And this was in your 30s? I think, right?
2: yeah, Mid-30, 30, I mean? yeah, mid-30s. Yeah. Was
1: there context or was it just a slow build-up to this? Was there a reason?
2: I'd moved house. And I'd got this incredible house um, right. and I'd sort of done it up like the world of interiors. I think an arctic monkey lives in there now. And um, right. which I just love <laughs> the idea of one of them rattling around. Well, probably not. They've got a family. I did this dressing room and it was sort of, you know, done like a sort of Georgian gentleman's shop. Um, wow. Yeah. It was a lot of brass. <laughs> and wood uh,
1: Wood, wood panelling?
2: Oh, yeah. So much wood paneling. Yeah, we're yeah. talking about. Oh, not... Lovely
1: inbuilt yeah. carpentry, like oh. drawers and like. All of it. Oh, yes.
2: And... Pull out, yes, Soft drawers clothes. just
1: for your ties. That oh, kind of yes. thing. Oh, like... yes. All that. Oh, yeah. One
2: just for jewelry. Because, you know, I'm the type of person. Oh, my I'm the type of person that has a drawer just for jewelry. Do you <laughs> know what I mean? It was like that. What type of person am I? <laughs> <laughs> this is the type of person I am. And, uh, uh, and I moved into the house. I just got number one album, I'd got a top five single. Wow, and I had a TV special, and I was just so unhappy, and I thought, "Oh God, oh dear, oh dear, this isn't good, oh dear." And I think I even said out loud, "Oh dear, <laughs> this is not good." <laughs> yeah, um, I, I'm a bit buggered. Um, so there was a sort of quite a big unraveling then. Um, right, couldn't avoid it anymore.
1: Well, that's what I was going to ask. Was that the first time since you had become? famous and successful as a singer that you'd had to confront yourself so. I, behind y- the ambition behind the kind of daily grind of pushing forwards the next thing the next thing the next thing
2: think so yeah I mean I'd started yeah. having, having therapy and that had really helped uh, but I got my work life quite on track you know yeah. I was like oh yes I've got all that now I understand I need boundaries and, and it just sort of really helped um, but yeah personal stuff not good drinking too much Right, I was watching a lot of pornography. Um, yeah, which you know, hysterically, I made the mistake of mentioning an article, and it was like, "Will sex addict
0: porn?" Yeah. <laughs> you know,
2: it's amazing how you you have an addiction. It's quite shaming, and then how like the media and society will shame you even more for something that's quite oh, shaming. Yeah. I'm like, oh wow, this oh is, yeah, this is interesting. No wonder people get so bloody shamed of any addictive behavior.
1: Oh, of um, course,
2: you know what I mean. Let he you know who cast the first stone and all that, or she. Uh yeah. Or yeah. they, however you want to identify yourself. And it, it so that yes, I had a lot of behaviour that was mm. not great. Just took a long time to get back on get back on track.
1: You've always seemed courageous. Um I feel like there's a sense within you of conviction and courage. That I'm curious about. I mean, the first and most overt example of that is you on Pop Idol talking back to the to the villain himself, to Simon Cowell and saying, you know, when he says to you in an audition, I watched this video back recently. He felt your performance was distinctly average and you really take him up on that and say, well this is how I feel you are as a judge, yeah. of your behavior. And and yes. I don't think that what I did, you know, was anything near that. And mm. there's, a, there's a real sense mm. of, I don't know, just such, such bravery in being able to see through the system and talk back at this person who is the person with the most power and have the conviction in yourself to do that. And I'm curious, I suppose, about where that came from and where that part of you begins, I suppose. Yeah. Because it's still there, even talking about porn, like that's brave.
2: Yeah, I... I mean, I do think, I think it comes from my parents. Right. You know, they're not the norm. You know, my mum is in her 70s. She drives a Japanese supercar. She has got five tattoos and counting. Wow. Yeah, she's quite a sort of free spirit. They don't really like authority, either of them. You know, in some ways they are, they tow the, the line, you know, sort of. In their type, because of their upbringing and all that, but in other ways, they're they're very sort of special and unique. And and so I think that probably gave me a sense of standing up for myself. Mm. I I also never liked bullies, and I did see Simon Cowell as a bully. You know, still do. So I mean, it's you know pretty, I would say, well documented. Yes. Um. I don't know. we the, uh, we'd lost a friend of the family, so that was my first experience of death. And I think I was just a bit like, you're not a very nice person and someone needs to stick up for these poor people. Mm. It's Mm. really so much about me. It was, I just felt, I was watching it and he was making all these people cry and I just thought, you're such a wimp. You know, you're such a wimp. It's so easy for you.
1: Yeah.
2: You know, you got all the power. It's so so easy. These poor kids are all going on. And I just remember saying to my friend, I just said, I'm going to take him on because I don't, I don't like him. Um, yeah.
1: And and interestingly, yeah. the viewers felt the same as you, you know, and uh, people voted for you in their hundreds of thousands. Yeah. Obviously, you know, th- there was singing part of it, but I do feel like so much of that is a popularity contest. It's not just about how you sing; no. it's about no, how no, you present isn't. yourself and how you fit into their perceptions of things and, you know, humanity. But you really Definitely. struck a chord with the viewers.
2: Yeah, I think it did allow people... Well, I sort of became the person that spoke back, which, you know, I was quite happy with it. The thing is, I ran into Simon Cowell on a boy band competition on This Morning, and I walked out live on This Morning and saw this man, had no idea who he was, and had an instant physical reaction to him. I just, for some reason, I thought... I just had this reaction. Wow. Um, And I, you know... Because of legal reasons, I can't talk about it that much, but I had a very difficult time at my first boarding school. Right. So my barometer for a certain type of person, shall we say, is quite on the money.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, and my body just reacted. So then I did Pop Idol and I was like, oh, my God, it's that bloody man again. know, <laughs> walks into the room and I was like, oh, my wow. God, he's he there again. So I just had an instant dislike. For some reason, I knew he would try and sabotage my trajectory. And the irony about the whole thing is, is because he tried to sabotage it, he gave me like a point of entry. He did. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think he ever got over it really, but you know, maybe (laughs) he's, maybe he's better now. Who knows?
1: Who knows? He is such a pantomime villain on the television. Um, I don't know what yeah. he's like in real life, but he, he is, he plays, a, he plays a role or maybe he doesn't very well.
2: Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? But I mean, it was really interesting for me and, and it did bring out a courageous side, you know, and, and, and it just goes to show like we can, you know, in many areas I wasn't confident, but sometimes you do, and I'm sure you've had it in your life, your career, you know, and you get to a point and you're like, no, that's my bar. I'm not yeah, I can. going below yeah, that. yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And you sort of, have a moment when you go, no, I'm not doing that or I'm not putting up for that. And those moments are really special in life.
1: Can I ask about your feelings towards pop idol in general? Do you feel like it's defined you? And are you okay with that, if that is the case? I don't think it's defined me. I I
2: struggled with it for a while because I got quite a lot of snobbery in the, in the music industry because Interesting. of it. You know, and that probably won't surprise you mm. and and that really hurt me and it did damage me and I think that there's probably lingers of that now there are there are probably things that if I was a sort of parallel artist opportunities that I might have got that I didn't get because of coming from that show um funny enough even as I say that now it feels I, I have really left that behind I I I spoke to someone the other day this is really interesting I'd worked with him and he comes up to me, I mean, a lot of this is his stuff, um, and he goes, oh, you're my guilty, you were always my guilty pleasure. And um, and I said, oh, that's interesting. I said, why? Yeah. He said, oh, you know what I mean. And um, I said, uh,
1: no, I don't. I don't know why you should feel guilty for listening to I my know. music. I don't, I don't know what that don't know what that means. I mean, first of all, the, what the fuck is a guilty pleasure? Like, that know, shouldn't exist. That know. question is ridiculous. So, yeah. But also, it, that's, it so very, that's so offensive. That's so offensive. Oh, my
2: God. Oh, my God. It was so offensive. And I really was offended, actually. I thought, you know, I've been doing this 22 years. I thought that kind of snobbery might have gone, you know. Right. Uh, and it was just a very odd thing to say. But I thought, God, oh, my God. This person I've worked with for quite a few years. And I was like, oh, okay that's interesting. Someone might still feel like that, you know. Mm. But, uh, so I suppose I used to get that a lot more. And, And also I think it was hard because, you know, I entered a show, won it, and then a lot of people that I loved their music, you know, had a lot of comments to say about the show. So I guess me being involved in the show, and that was hard, you know, hearing people say nasty things about the show and me who I'd sort of grown up listening to their music. So I, I think, because of that I never really felt that welcome in the music industry it mm. wasn't till probably about 7 years into my career when people started getting excited to see me younger artists and I thought oh okay yeah. oh maybe I've maybe I'm yeah. established now and that's quite yeah. a nice place to be um I think the other thing was it was tricky being gay because mm. you know really it, it, you know Obviously times were so different then And I'd get a lot of people that would come up and say Oh, my husband listens to your music I mean, he's not gay You know, it would be like If you listened to Will Young It basically meant you were gay If you were a man yeah. And so, so that, You know, that was That was probably quite hard to hear um, But Pop Idol itself No, I just thought it was amazing
1: If you had the choice to go back and do it differently Would you do the same thing? Or
2: De- I'd definitely do it again yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think I would be able to do something like that now because the pressures are so different. But no one knew how big it was going to be. No, I had the best thing ever. you know, I was a posh politics student that didn't write his songs at that stage, was openly gay. Yeah. And I worked in the music industry. I was already yeah. working in the music industry, working for Sony Publishing. So there's no way anyone would have given me a contract. But I did feel like if I got to the public, they would like my voice. I felt that. Yes. And I believed in the public. I thought, I think they'll like me if I can just get to the public.
0: Small details or big surfaces, tight corners or odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. If. Only in theaters. May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news...
1: Um, growing up, you had an older sister and a twin brother, right? What was the biggest change, I suppose, that you experienced in childhood? It was learning to ride a bike because we lived in the
2: countryside. And so you couldn't get around, you know, unless there were no buses. And so once you learned to cycle, it was like a whole other world. Mm. You You could cycle around all the lanes could cycle to the train station and get a train.
1: So little Will, cycling around the lanes, what kind of kid were you?
2: Accident prone, I was accident (laughs) prone, which went hand in hand with the bike. Always falling into water for some reason. We used to go to Scotland on our holidays and my mum used, when we went walking, she'd have to go with an extra pair of jeans, socks, pants, t-shirt, because I would just fall into a bog or a river or a stream. It was just inevitable that I would fall over. Yeah. Very sensitive, mm. quite teary. I was easily made able to cry. It was sort of quite often in my world always singing to myself. Yeah, and very sort of gentle, really.
1: So you mentioned boarding school. I know you can't talk about that lot, but just in terms of that change from going from your house to living away from home, what are yeah, your memories of so that? that was tricky. That? Yeah. It
2: was ter- terribly tricky, Um, How
1: how old were you, Will?
2: I was... Well, I went to the school at seven, but we were actually the first day boys they'd ever had. Uh, We didn't board till nine, which is still obviously very young. Um, And, yeah, it's tricky. I'm sort of involved in legal proceedings now. um, And I don't want to damage not just my case but other cases. But what I will say is that, for me, when I realised how much that experience had damaged me, you know, and and, and it it did also lead to my breakdown. Um, The last few years, a lot has changed in terms of how we can get recognition and recompense for that. And and, and I think it ties in a lot, interestingly, to I'm seeing a sort of correlation into when I was talking about not liking seeing contestants being, you know, made to cry on Popeye or... Yeah. I, I feel very strongly with what I'm doing now with, with my boarding school uh, it, it is that it's not really about me. You know, sometimes yeah. it's quite stressful. It can be quite triggering, but I've done a lot of work on that. Um, but it's giving other people permission and showing them that you can, you know, ask for uh, what's the word you and you have uh, ask the people to at least face the law right. and have to, to be whether accountable. I win or not yeah. to be yeah. accountable. Exactly. Yeah. That's the word. Accountability. And I feel very strongly about that and it and it's not just for me, it's for other people. People can get broken for their yeah. life I mean yeah. that's it. they can get broken because of stuff that's happened and the the sad thing about the boarding school thing is people you know they they don't see the kids they just see like privilege yeah. and they just see money yeah. um and and I did an interview it was it was honestly the worst interview I think I've ever done I won't say who the person was um but the the questions that were asked were so um, so awful, and it was the kind of things that people. It was victim blaming, right. yeah. really. Yeah, you know, and the way people reacted afterwards, you know, which which this person was very happy to read out their reactions, hmm. um, and it, it was terribly, terribly disappointing to hear that. Cause it's like, oh well, rich kid, you know, spoiled, and I just think, oh yeah. God, who would look at children being in in such an awful place, abusive place and and just see the money of their parent I mean that just says more about the people so I think that's why a lot of people don't come forward in terms of boarding school but also you know the correlation is the same with any childhood abuse people in positions of power normally removed from the family they might strike up a relationship with the family and they're made to feel like you can't say anything you know it was a really awful time but actually something, that this has been quite an interesting experience for uh, have me. Have you reconnected um,
1: with other alumni of the school in doing yes. it? Yes. Yes, yeah. I have. I saw a couple of them yesterday, actually, and it was
2: just so, yeah, we've become really good That's friends. And I didn't realise this is the other thing. A lot of it can be public, but, uh, you know, you, you don't always know when you're in that place. You can see certain things, but you don't see all the things. That's been really hard for yeah. me to hear. Um I get terribly um, upset when I hear people come forward and people that I knew, and I hear their experiences. And I, I didn't see everything, of course. How can you? So that's tricky. But um, oh, they're lovely yeah. people. It's 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 weird. It's weird how life works. Really, like struck up a really great friendship yeah. with someone I haven't seen for years.
1: That's a yeah, beautiful thing to happen. Off this, of this thing. Yeah, and we keep each other yeah, strong. I you bet.
2: know, it's not sewn into our our identity. Mm -hmm. It was something that was very tough and and we're doing something about it. So that's, you know, that gives my sort of younger parts. They feel like, oh, you know, like grown-up Williams doing something about it. So it's quite sweet, really.
1: Okay, so let's talk about now the biggest change in adulthood. You talked about going on a Survivors Workshop. What is this? Well, it
2: it was this great workshop. I had this brilliant therapist called Lois Evans. She was this Jewish New York woman. Her earrings were from Tiffany's. Once she pointed at them and said, you paid for these. (laughs) You know, amazingly permed hair, quite tough, but sort of very maternal. She sent me on this workshop run by a guy called Randy Berlin. Oh, my God. Yeah, who was a sort of Texan guy looked like he was carved from stone and it was called survivors but it it just sort of um sort of taught me about boundaries because that was one of the hard things was that well everyone has opinions and when you're in the public eye they're very happy to tell you your opinions so you know like people would be coming up to me just telling me i mean anything oh i don't like that song why aren't you doing that oh i do like that or that's not very good you know, and 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 I was like a sort of feather in the wind, just being of like, oh,
1: okay, okay. So, what point in your life did you do this? Like, what age were you?
2: Two thousand
1: and seven. Oh right, okay. So, right in the height of it, yeah. Mm. Okay.
2: And it was it was brilliant, and I didn't have a bad day's work after that. Seriously, still haven't. Still haven't. I've so lost ha- things. I've gained things. But I just, I, I, I learned boundaries, and I learned that. To protect myself. So like, they did a thing called, a you imagined you had a suit on, a suit of armor. Mine was a Batman suit. Right. So I thought it was kind of hot. Mm. And um, then you had a sort of little door over your heart and you could open it from the inside. And I'd have my, I call it my Batman suit. If I get a call from my manager, immediately, Batman suit's on. Because I don't know what he's going to say. Right. So
1: you have to be be prepared.
2: So I'm prepared. I was never prepared before. For letdowns or anything. Or people come up in the street. Oh, Will, can I just... Boom, Batman suit on. I mean, my Batman suit now is so well-practiced. I I, I mean, it's not even a conscious thing. Is the Batman suit Um, on
1: now? Are you wearing it? Yes. Yes. Yes.
2: Yes. Things bounce. And it's it's rubber, so things can Mm. just bounce off. Mm. You know, just bounce off. Mm. Um, it, It just changed my life. How? Because I stopped taking things in. I okay. stopped because it's like anything would be, you know, not just like a stick. It would stick in me. So I get a call. Coca-Cola wanted you for this job. They don't want you anymore. Before it would be like,
1: oh, I can't. Take to you know, bed. And then I'd, yeah. yeah.
2: And then I'd be walking with that. in. And then let's you know, so do an interview. And someone said, oh, you know, well, I don't know if you read that review about your, you know, oh, another bar. Yeah. 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 And I try to try to walk through life with these barbs taking me down. Yeah. And now I don't they don't affect me. Wow. So I can be free and I can just I could just walk through life and the stress wouldn't stick with me, you know, and I just felt so much more free um, wow. and prote- and protected. I was never protecting myself. I never knew anything about boundaries. So it was just life changing. Actually,
1: I can imagine from a very pragmatic level, like a functional level, it saved you shitloads of time. Like the amount the amount of time you will have spent just, you know, in despair about stuff that you can then just spend on yourself doing constructive things or pleasurable things.
2: So much time. And sort of internal time, you know? Right. You know, because you're not I wasn't sitting there self flagellation <laughs> Yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah. Um so I just couldn't believe now looking back how I would just walk around taking everyone. I mean, I'm probably an empath anyway.
1: Mm, I think as an artist, you are particularly permeable to, to all yes. things like that, aren't you? Yeah.
2: So probably pick up on people's energies and things like that. I just don't know how I managed it before.
1: When everybody has an opinion about you and you are that person, you know, which makes you a good artist and a good singer and a good actor and all of these things. How do you marry all those things that people have to say about you, all the judgments Um with being okay in the world? I, like. I don't know.
2: I, what well, I wasn't, I, you know, it was really hard. Luckily, I had friends and I had humor yeah. and humor was really great. Yes, um, yes. I think that's really important. And then I think as you go on, you just learn to not, you know, so reviews are in for my play. I'm not going to re- read any of the reviews. Right. Because that would just be madness for me. Okay. God, you know? I
1: wish I was as good as you. I can't not read them. I have to read them.
2: Oh, oh I don't well, I want to get not know that How do you manage that I, I mean I I mean Wow Because I, I just I can't Even if it's a five star review I know the way my mind works And I will just pick up on the one thing Yeah And, I'll yeah. Be, and, yeah. Then, and then that's it yeah, And the same I don't go on social media I'm not on social media um, right. Because That's not good for me You know You have to learn a bit more now Because Now you have things like social media And all that You didn't at the time And if I get a whiff of someone about to tell me something, like... I just stop them in their tracks.
1: Say no thanks. You don't need to Ignorance is bliss. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, Will, can I ask about your brother?
2: Mm. What would you like to know?
1: I suppose just when he died, was it a surprise for you and your family? Did you know? Was there a kind of expectation, I suppose, that it might happen?
2: My brother took his life. It wasn't a surprise for me. Um, Mm. We have a very interesting relationship with death and I think with suicide in the world. And I think people who are listening and maybe you've lost people yourself who've taken their own life. It's a heavy topic. And Mm. it comes with a sense of shame, I suppose, in a way. I just sort of knew that my brother did everything he could. And I, and I realised that more and more and more, actually, after he'd gone. Uh, and so sort of got this even more of a respect than I'd had before. Right. And I think people can be like, oh, it's so selfish. You know? Oh, God, no. If people I mean... really get
1: I like it, so selfish on the families. You know, and like, well, you're not the one who took your life. I think that's people who have no experience of mental health. Yeah. Crisis. yeah I think. Yeah.
2: yeah. <clears throat> I just... Uh, of course, it could be so devastating for people, you know, the tragedy of it. Yes. It is the ultimate tragedy. For me, you know, I got a lot of years with my brother and, um, and he decided he'd had enough. And weirdly for me, that was okay. Some people right. might find that a strange thing to say. So for me, it didn't seem as tragic as I think other, other circumstances around suicide can be. You know, particularly often people don't actually want to take their life. I mean, that's a real tragedy.
1: Yeah. So they do it as a cry for help or something.
2: Um and, and I think maybe this is useful for people to hear about suicidal ideation because I spoke to this psychiatrist and often people don't talk about suicidal ideation and I and I can get suicidal ideation and it's mm. a symptom of, you know, real distress. Yeah. Um I know I don't want to take my life and it can feel a thing that you really don't want to share with people because it will throw them into a complete panic. Because obviously, yes. like, the ultimate panic is my friend, my partner, my child, my parent, whoever, mm. is going to take their life. I mean, that is, like, the ultimate panic. Yes. So sometimes sharing about suicidal ideation, people are scared to do it because they don't want to panic people. But I think it's could be t- spoken about more, actually, in terms of just a symptom of distress. And... um the other thing is, someone told me once, a psychiatrist, and I've never forgotten it, if you feel like your suicidal ideation is a bit of like a tractor beam, you feel like you're being drawn towards the idea of taking your life and you yeah. sort of can't stop it.
1: Yes, um, yes.
2: And you start making plans, you know, that's when you need to get help. And I've, and I've had that okay. only a couple of times in my life for myself. Yeah. Uh, and I rang the Samaritans.
1: Oh, they're, they're love, amazing. the Samaritans are so amazing. Yeah.
2: They were great. This woman I rang once and she said, you know, do you, are you tired of life or are you tired of then it was my anxiety? I said, oh, no, that's a really good question.
1: Yeah.
2: I mean, I kept on getting her name wrong, but I felt like...
1: I'm sure she forgives Let's not split way. hairs. Yeah, I'm sure she didn't mind.
2: Let's not split hairs here, Debbie, yeah. even though her name is Donna, <laughs> let's say. I don't know.
1: God bless Donna.
2: No, they're brilliant. So, and and also, you know, anyone who is feeling in that position, you know, know that the Samaritans are always there. I've used them. They've been brilliant.
1: Well, I must ask you and want to ask you about your podcast. I listened to uh, the communication relationships episode. Bloody hell. Felt like I needed to to, to write a lot of stuff down after that. Yeah. Um, but yes, this podcast is only in its second series. I suppose. Why did you want to do a podcast purely about well being? Well, I'd had I'd done a podcast
2: called Homo Sapiens, which is still yes. going, with um, a chap called Chris Sweeney, and I, and I loved that podcast. Yeah. And then I sort of thought a lot of stuff that was coming up in Homo Sapiens was well being, really. Yeah. And another thing that I found stressful was trying to find guests. So I thought, Oh, it's right. so
1: right. stressful. Such so it's such thought, hard
2: work. It's such hard work. So I thought, right, I'm not, I'm not going to speak to anyone famous, so I don't feel like yeah. the pressure of having to do that. You know, I'm not having
1: to deliver big names week after week, and yeah. also
2: like maybe getting people just because they're famous, but uh, they might be an arsehole. Right. I don't want that, or, or,
1: or not have much constructive things to say. You know, or not, that yeah, pertain to your podcast, it's, it's, right? Yeah, exactly. So I, I made a
2: decision to sort of do, I guess, quite a niche podcast. Mm. Um, uh, which is just talk to professionals, really, about varying topics. Um, some of them really, you know, not really so well known. And then occasionally talking to people who are professionals and they're also, they 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 are uh, dealing with that condition. So okay. we've done so many different things, body dysmorphia. Um, hypnotherapy was quite an amazing one, actually. I interviewed this woman and mm. it, that was on hypnotherapy, but really... Therapy with hypnosis, um, and I thought that was quite extraordinary. Actually, communication one was great. Mm. Conflict resolution, um, it oh, just goes yeah. on and on. Yeah, yeah. Well,
1: we'll we'll put a link to the podcast in the show notes for this. Anyone who wants to go and listen, just check the Thank show you. notes. Um, last question, Will Young, the change you would still like to make in your life.
2: I think I said more joy. You did. Yeah, that's what I'm working on. It's hard to have joy. If you get a lot of anxiety,
1: yeah,
2: um, because your body's going, and then we don't have time for joy.
1: Well, um, you're in, you're in fight or flight all the time, right? You're in fight or flight. Yeah, or,
2: often for me, it's also a freeze response, um, right. or or a faint response. You know, so it's like it's quite difficult to sort of go, oh yes, you no, know, I'm experiencing much joy. But as my anxiety gets better, I'm noticing more joy come in, and that and that's quite fun. It's yeah. normally the little things. It normally comes with a sense of presence.
1: How do you mean by that, sorry, when you say a sense of well, presence? Well, it, it, it's like, let's be joyful
2: in the moment now. You right, know, let's be you. joyful because our brains and maybe our bodies, you know, from because of our past or whatever, might be thinking, oh, this isn't going to last, this isn't going to last, can't do that. Mm-hmm. So I've found that to be joyful, it's not necessarily an elation. Right. It's like a... Like yesterday's performance was a joyful performance for me. Um, but sometimes I have to sort of just remind my brain a bit. I'm like, and
1: well, why don't
2: we just enjoy this moment now and see how that works out? You know? Yeah. yeah. So it's quite a good little practice.
1: Pulling um, yourself back to the now. Stroking the dog, eating something gorgeous, burning exactly. the stage.
2: Burning the burning li- little stage. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, "Stage ain't working. Stage ain't working.
1: <laughs> Get out of it. Sage. Yeah, stage ain't working. <laughs> you got to keep trying, right? That's the whole point. You do. Yeah. Yeah. Will, um, thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, it was a real pleasure to speak to you. Thank you. Do please rate, review and subscribe to Changes. It is so appreciated. And if you fancy sharing it on social media too, that would be amazing. The more people we can get listening to these episodes, the better we want to tell our stories far and wide. Changes is produced by Louise Mason through DIN Productions. Thanks for listening.
0: only from rustolium